I'm going to begin this morning by making a confession, which is always, <laughs> always a scary bit thing to do, but going to do it nevertheless. Here it is. I liked school. All right, there it is. It's out there. I actually liked learning. Now, I had friends, I had lots of friends growing up who seemed not to like school, so I felt like I was living this kind of closeted life, right? I had to just come out in the open today and just say, like, I, I liked it. I liked school. I liked learn. I didn't like it all the time, but I, li I liked it most of the time, right? And my favorite subject, especially, especially in grade school, was, of course, what? Show and tell. You are so right. That is exact. It was the best subject ever. Just by show of hands, how many of you participated in some kind of show and tell at grade school? Go ahead. Yeah, you did. Wasn't it the best? Like, that, that was amazing. Now, if you've, if you've never done show and tell... Uh, let me just catch you up on what it is, right? It's an opportunity uh, to bring something from your own home and then take it to your classmates and show it to them and tell them about it. And so we called it show and tell, right? Super, super easy. Now, I remember, quite honestly, I remember having a little bit of anxiety on the night before. Because there was, there was I, pressure, I, maybe on myself, I don't know, but there was this kind of thing inside of me that said, I have to get this exactly right. I've got to bring the exact right thing to show and to tell my classmates, right? I, I don't want them to think that the thing that I brought was somehow, I don't know, stupid or silly or childish, right? Because, because show and tell is about bringing something that has deep meaning for you. And you're hopeful that when you bring it to other people and you show it to them and you tell them about it, that it will have some meaning for them as well. And there is, of course, there was always risk that that thing which had such meaning for you would simply fall on deaf ears. But there was also great reward when classmates realized and understood why that, why that seashell or that t-shirt or the Optimus Prime Transformer that you got for Christmas, I'm just saying, when you brought it, right, that it, that it also had meaning for them as well. Now here's the crazy thing. Show and tell as a, as a subject, or at least as an activity, right? It's been, around, it's been around for a really long time. And today, today, friends, we're going to explore Jesus' command to show and tell. We're in the third week of our series, Influencer. We're exploring not only the influence that you and I have in the kingdom of God, but also the call to use that influence for the sake of our neighbors. And Jesus makes it incredibly clear in Luke chapter 10 that the harvest, the harvest is already ready. There are people already ready to receive your influence, already ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. There are people already ready to receive healing and freedom and mercy and peace and love that is in our hands as followers of Jesus. And these people, these people are everyday people. These are people with whom you live and work and play. And yet, and yet so many of us feel like we have so little to offer. We say to ourselves, what can God do? 
with so little. Echoing the question of Andrew in last week's text as he looked at 5,000 men and some fish and some bread, he asks Jesus, what are they among so many? And yet last week we learned time and time again that God does a lot out of a little. When we steward things back into the hands of Jesus, whether that's our skills or our possessions, our finances, our character, our fish and loaves, when we put that into his hands, God does the work of multiplying it for the sake of the kingdom. And this is why, church, this is why it is so important, as Pastor Adam mentioned in week number one, so important to understand that sociologically, we have significant influence in the life of about 20 people. Not 170 million like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? Just 20. 20 people with whom we have significant influence. And my guess is when we think about only 20, that number sounds so insignificant. It sounds like, you know, a couple of fish, just a few barley loaves. And yet, as Pastor Adam mentioned in week number one, if we take 20 people and multiply it by the number of people who are regular here at Holy Cross, that's influence in 7,000 people. 7,000 people influenced by the gospel for the sake of the world. That's the kind of math that I love learning about. Now, friends, as we'll see today, influence, influence is really nothing more than show and tell. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get to Mark chapter 5 together. That text we heard Laura read just moments ago. You will need your Bibles, hopefully the one that you brought with you, digital or paper, or the one that's provided. And we're going to get to Mark's gospel. So, New Testament, Matthew, then Mark, Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin at verse 1. Though in truth, we're going to skim through the first 14 verses, so just kind of hang on, but we are going to start really at verse 1. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now, as always, before we can get to the text, we first have to understand the what? The context. That's right, right? What's going on in Mark's gospel? Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 5 begins this way. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Well, what were they doing before that? What led to the movement across the lake? What's been happening so far? Now, in Mark's gospel, in Mark's gospel, action happens very quickly. And so I want to back up briefly to Mark chapter 4, where Jesus arrives at the lake that is being described in Mark chapter 5. It's an unnamed lake in Mark's gospel, and there... At the lake in chapter 4, Jesus gets into a boat and he starts teaching about farming, about seed that is sown into different soil types. And of course, we know because Jesus told the confused disciples that the seed, the seed is the word. And when the word is planted in good soil, In a heart that has been tilled and prepared, it produces a crop almost unimaginable in size. And then Jesus would go on to talk about in chapter 4 about the life 
which has been affected by that word, right? A life that has been transformed by the good news of God's grace, like a life like yours and mine. And he says, he says, Jesus says, do you bring in a lamp only to put it under a bowl or a bed? No, instead, put it on a stand. Basically, Jesus is saying, if your life has been transformed by the gospel, if your life has been affected by the good news of Jesus, it's not supposed to be covered up, but actually put on display for the world to see. Those in whom the word has been planted, they are supposed to have lives that both show and tell. Now, in the remainder of chapter 4, Jesus goes on to teach a bit more about the mysterious nature of the kingdom, both in how it grows and how big it grows. And then he wraps up everything. He wraps up all of this teaching along with the disciples, and he begins a journey across the lake. And in that journey across the lake, Jesus decides, I'm tired. So brother takes a nap on a cushion in the front of the boat. And he is sleeping soundly when a massive squall comes upon the lake and there are waves trying to capsize the boat. And the disciples, they wake Jesus up and quickly, Jesus commands the wind and the waves to be still. He simply says a word, a word, by the way, which in the beginning of chapter four is a word that gets planted in the hearts of people. That word has power to create a harvest almost unimaginable. So now here we are, finally, at Mark chapter 5. When they come across the lake, they enter into the region of the Gerasenes. Now, friends, if you're writing down or taking notes, this is important. It's an important detail. This is the first time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is in Gentile territory. Up until this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has spent his time solely in Jewish areas. But for the first time in Mark's gospel, Jesus has finally arrived in Gentile lands. And he's immediately met by a man who is possessed by literally an unclean spirit. Now, Mark, Mark takes several verses for to describe the man. The man is strong. He can't be contained even by chains. And he says in verse 4, right, Mark captures in verse 4, no one had the strength to subdue him. He was a man, Mark tells us, living among the dead. He's living in a cemetery, running around naked, thrashing himself on the rocks, right? That's who Jesus encounters his first time into Gentile territory. Now, I wish, I wish I had enough time to talk about how unbelievably non-Jewish this moment is, right? In an encounter with a man who's living amongst corpus, corpse, he's bleeding out regularly, he's living near pigs, it breaks So many Jewish purity laws, like it can't even be described. But friends, what's striking, what's striking is that for a person who is described as strong, as one who can't be contained, as one who breaks chains, when Jesus lands, that same strong person can do nothing 
but kneel and beg. He kneels to the one who is truly strong while begging that he would have mercy. And in a beautiful moment of irony, that unclean spirit pleads by using God's name. Right? He pleads to God by using God's name. In God's name, do this. Jesus, church, Jesus is interested in the man's freedom that he is released from the thing that holds him captive. And so, as we heard, Jesus casts out legion out of the man into a large herd of pigs that was feeding on a nearby hillside. And those pigs make a run for the sea, literally, it says, suffocating one by one. And those who were there, the hog herders, (laughs) that's fun to say, by the way, hog herders, they ran off into town to tell them what happened. And then like good gossip in any town, like a, you know, like a, I don't know, a Decapolis informed page on social media or something like that, right? This, this gossip gets picked up by town and they come out to see what's happened. And so here we are, verse 15. It says, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It seems that in this moment, the town was more interested in the drowning of their pigs than in the drowning of demons. But now, now, church, we get to the crux of the matter. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, right? I mean, wouldn't we all? Jesus has just provided the freedom the man has longed for and yet has never been able to find. Jesus brought healing to a man who had been crippled by oppressive forces. This man had been moved from living among the dead to living among the living. In my opinion, friends, this this narrative here in Mark 5, this is Jesus at his best, living out the prophetic word of Isaiah Isaiah says, he he sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This Jesus at his best, this is Jesus for us too. Yes, we're not living in cemeteries. We're not bound by chains from the townsfolk. We're not thrashing ourselves around on gravestones. But friends, we are bound. We are bound to sin and to guilt, and to shame. We recognized, even as we confessed together today, that we are slaves to our sin. We recognize that we, that we haven't lived out the abundant life of Jesus, that we failed to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We failed to love our neighbors as ourselves, which interestingly most often begins in our own homes. We look at our lack of zeal for God's kingdom and his mission. We pay attention to our barely noticeable prayer life or our half-hearted worship. And when we see that, when that moment 
hits us and we see it for all that it is. When, when God's law works on our heart, it shows us that we are indeed bound, not in chains like the demoniac, but in sin. And in so many ways, as St. Paul would say later in the New Testament, we are dead in our trespasses. Perhaps we're living in a cemetery after all. And yet it was Jesus who in power and victory conquered sin, conquered the devil, conquered death. He's moved us from death to life. Or as St. Paul says, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. Like that demoniac, you and I in the work of Jesus have been released from that which holds us captive. And friends, when we remember that moment, when we experience that moment, when we feel the weight of that moment, when Christ says to you and me, I forgive you, you are mine. You are my beloved daughter and you are my beloved son. I love you more than anything. When we feel the weight of our Father's words, when we experience that moment, we want nothing more than to hang out with other people who have had that same experience. I mean, we're sitting among them today. It's great to be with people who know and experience the same things that we know and experience. Being with other Christians is a good thing. Being with the church is a very good thing. But we would do well to pay attention to Jesus' command in verse 19. Jesus didn't let him go with him. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Interesting moment. No. You can't come. I mean, normally Jesus is all like, come and follow me, right? But in this case, Jesus says no. He says, it's time for you to do some show and tell. And church, this is key, and I, I want us to pay close attention to what I'm about to say, so please listen carefully. Being with other Christians is a good thing, right? Being with others who have experienced the gospel like we have is good, and it is necessary. But, and this is a big but, there is a potential danger that we will only spend time with people of our own household. That because it's so good to be with others who have had the experience that we've had, who know the gospel like we do, there is the potential danger that we'll only spend time with one another. But friends, show and tell is about bringing something from your own household out. 
You see, if we're not careful, at best, we'll forget the mission. At worst, we'll neglect it. Jesus is saying, take this experience of freedom, this experience of God's grace, of mercy, this experience of new life, take it out to the place where you live and work and play. Jesus is basically saying, show and tell what it is I have done for you. You, you have influence. And so use that influence, Jesus is saying. And yes, that influence can be used inside of the faith family. Like my mechanic friend, Bob or Janet with sixth, seventh and eighth grade girls. But, but if we're not careful, we'll forget that show and tell is meant for the world. What we need What we need is to release all of our waltz. It's a story told in the memoir of a man named Howard Hendricks. Uh, Howard Hendricks was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for almost 60 years. And in his memoir, he recounts this story, his interaction with a man named Walt. This is from that memoir. He writes, in my life, I recall several profoundly influential figures who were strategically used by God to change the course of my life. The first was a man named Walt. Had it not been for Walt, I seriously doubt whether I would have ever become a follower of Jesus. You see, I came from a broken home. My parents were separated before I was born, and neither one paid much attention to my spiritual condition. To put it bluntly, he says, I could have lived and died and gone to hell without anyone bothering to care. But Walt cared. (laughs) He was a part of a tiny church in my neighborhood that developed a passion to affect its community for Christ. Walt's passion was to reach nine and ten-year-old boys like me with the gospel. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget the Saturday morning I met him. You see, I was sprawled out on a Philadelphia sidewalk playing marbles. And suddenly someone was standing beside me. I looked up to see this gangly guy towering over me, all six feet, four inches of him. And my mouth sort of just dropped open. Hey, son, how would you like to go to Sunday school, he asked. This, Howard says, was an unfortunate question, because to my mind, anything that had the word school had to be bad news, so I simply shook my head no. Well, how would you like to play marbles, Walt asked, and he squatted down to play. Now, I thought, he's talking my language. Sure, I replied, and I quickly set up the game. As the best marble player on the block, I felt supremely confident that I could whip this challenger easily. Would you believe that he beat me in every single game? In fact, he captured every marble I had, but in the process, he also captured my heart. I lost a game and a bit of pride that day, but I gained something far more important. I gained the friendship of a man who cared, a man who literally came down to my level by kneeling to play a game of marbles. So from then on, wherever Walt was, that's where I wanted to be. 
See, Waltz built into my life over the next several years in a way that would mark me forever. He used to take me and the other boys in his Sunday school class hiking. Now, Walt had a bad heart, and I'm sure we didn't do it any good, running him all over the woods as we did. But he didn't seem to mind because, after all, he cared. In fact, he was probably the first person to show me unconditional love. Overall, Howard says, Walt incarnated Christ for me. And not only for me, but for 13 other boys in my neighborhood, nine of whom also came from broken homes. And remarkably, 11 of us went on to pursue careers as vocational Christian workers, which is ironic, given that Walt himself completed school only through the sixth grade and worked vocationally in a tool and die trade. I guess it just goes to show that a person doesn't need a PhD for God to use him or her to bring the kingdom of God near to other people. I don't know if you know it, but we are a congregation of waltz. People who have influence in the life of those with whom we live and work and play. And Jesus is saying to you and me, go, show, and tell. Take this thing that has such meaning to you, this faith, this forgiveness, and this grace, and this mercy. Take it from the household. Show and tell other people about it. Jesus, again, verse 19, he didn't let him go. He says, no, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And so that man, he went away and he began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. (laughs) The first evangelist in Mark's gospel is this man, a Walt is going back to his home and to the place that he's from to show and tell. What does Mark record at the end of verse 20? All the people were amazed. We've been saying this since the beginning of the series, friends. You are an influencer, like it or not. You have influence, significant influence in the life of about 20 Like it or not, you are a Walt, (laughs) sent to show and tell. So, sisters and brothers, let's take this good news that's in our hands, this truth of who God is, let's take it from our household out to the world to be ones who show and tell in Jesus' name, amen? And now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.